For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Welcome to episode 32 of the Baseball from Home podcast. I'm Connor McKnight. He is Joe Brand, and we're brought to you by the House of L Podcast Network. I've been covering baseball for radio stations in Chicago the last 10 years. Well, not exactly. There's been a pandemic. Joe's been broadcasting minor league baseball for the last nine. He covers the White Sox and the Cubs for WGN Radio. You can find us both on Twitter. I'm at C1 McKnight. He is at Joe underscore Brand1. Subscribe, rate, and review the podcast. We just like it when you do. Yes, it helps the pod and it helps the House of L network and it and it helps Team Hockberg a little bit too. Um, but you should do it anyway because it's fun. Team Hockberg's our sponsor, by the way. David Hockberg's a fine fellow. He looks different now, and most of that is because of Joe. Well, it, most of it is because of David Hockberg. I just happen to be somehow his companion along this crazy, crazy ride. But yes, he's a he's a crazy man, but he's also a very generous man. He did a, a lot of great stuff for the Salvation Army. I'm happy to be a part of it, but yes, he is still slightly insane. Yeah, so he's got a, it's dyed, David has dyed his hair red with a white stripe for the holidays, well, for a charity event for the holiday season. Yeah, pretty much in honor of the Salvation Army. Red hair with a white stripe down the middle. He honestly looks like a character from Mortal Kombat right now or something. So have you seen, um, Joe also got his hair cut. Joe's been sporting some very long, luscious locks. Actually, you're probably too young. Um, and I don't say that in the way that, that people usually say it, but the movie I'm going to reference is like right in the sweet spot of in between my st- faking sick from school and watching it on reruns and yours. Have you seen Roadhouse with Patrick Swayze? No, but I, I understand the, the comparison with the hairstyles. You- you had kind of a Roadhouse Patrick Swayze look going on. It was, you could have been ripping throats, man. <laughs> I'll take that. I'll take that. Yeah, the only the only Roadhouse term or reference I think I know is Family Guy, where Peter takes the turn every time and says Roadhouse, Roadhouse, and just <laughs> nice. does obnoxious things. That's a, oh God, that's such a great movie. That is one of my, that is, I think, my, my favorite, all-time favorite bad movie. I mean, because it's, it's unequivocally bad, but it's absolutely my favorite. Anyway, the folks at Team Hockberg are absolutely fantastic. David's crazy. The rest of them know what they're doing. Really, David does too. Uh, they helped me with uh, my mortgage here at the place in Wicker Park. They were absolutely fantastic. It was my first home buying experience, and they had every answer ready for me when I came to them going, hey, what's a mortgage? They had all the answers. It was absolutely fantastic. They will do the same for you. Oh, and by the way, if you're looking to refinance the mortgage on your home, especially with COVID and, and some uncertain economic times and everything, David's been on top of that as well. Like, on top of that. Call them 855-56-DAVID 
or head to the website at 56david.com. Homeside Financial is an equal housing lender. NMLS 1124061. Joe, the Cubs signed somebody. They actually signed a man. I have to go look up who it was. Uh, it was a reliever of some note of some some Joe someone. I don't I don't. It doesn't matter. Call your sons. Call your daughters. Jonathan Holder is a Chicago Cub. Great, that's absolutely fantastic. Um, is this a is this a sign of things to come? Or, I mean, honestly, the the biggest news in Cubdom is that Kyle Schwarber came back for a a charity event and talked about where he's going to play not Chicago next year. It's it's kind of wild, isn't it? Yeah, no, it is. It's it's one of those things where, you know, you know it's going to happen and you kind of brace yourself for it. But then once it becomes really true, then it, it's just a little, uh, a little more dismantling and, and just harder to absorb and understand. What, what do you think about Kyle Schwarber going to the Twins? I was kind of thinking about that recently because it doesn't look like there'll be Eddie Rosario. He, he can DH a little there. Right. I, I love it. I, I don't know. For some reason, that seemed like a good fit. I love it. Um, I, I like adding more pop into that twin. Like, as a baseball fan, like, obviously, White Sox fans hate this. But as a baseball fan, I love adding more pop into that lineup. That's a blast. I I really like that Twins team. They're so much fun. I like the way they're put together. I like that system still. I, you know, a lot of people have talked about Kyle Schwarber staying in town and going over to the White Sox, right? And obviously, with the signing of Adam Eaton, that looks less and less likely. I mean, it's, it's possible still, I guess, but less and less and less likely. I, I was of the opinion the entire time, he needs to get the hell out of town, man. He needs to he needs to go have his reset. He deserves getting to a completely different media market, a totally different time zone, and just smashing the reset, like rage quitting the NES and and going to start a brand new save game. I I hope it works out for him. I really do. Twins would be fun. I I like him heading out to, you know, a, a Giants team or something like that. If if we do have a DH in the National League, I don't I don't know if we're having that or not. No one does. We're gonna get to a little bit of that later. But I think what's what's kind of interesting about the Cubs right now is something that David Ross said about. Uh, where the team is at, where the franchise is at, really. And this is some of this from The Athletic. I'm going to read a couple of quotes from Ross that he gave to to pool reporters and then a little graph from The Athletic. Uh, Sahada wrote this up, and he's brilliant. So Ross said in regards to um, you Darvish and Kyle Hendricks potentially being moved to, you know, kind of move the benchmark of where the team is at in, uh, in terms of a rebuild. He said, you and Kyle are huge pieces to us going forward. If there's something that makes sense from a GM standpoint, honestly, I do stay out of that stuff. I'm not giving you guys any fluff. I try and stay in my lane. But I think Jed's committed to working in the boundaries that are provided for him and trying to make us the best possible team we can be. There's a lot of different ways to look at that. Here's the graph from Sahada. It seems highly unlikely the Cubs would find an ideal match for Darvish or Hendricks and actually go through with a trade of such magnitude. Darvish's deal includes language that allows him to block a trade to 12 teams. The balance of Darvish's contract, three years and 62, is a reasonable expense for the Cubs and a relative bargain compared with the mega deals signed by Garrett Cole and Steven Strasburg last offseason. That's still a lot of money for a 34-year-old pitcher, plus giving up talented players in a trade at a time when Major League Baseball is claiming billions of dollars in losses because of the COVID-19 pandemic. End of quote. You and I talked a lot about the potential trade of you, Darvish. And to be honest, we talked about it in a purely myopic baseball sense. 
And that was the point of our conversation there, that Darvish as an entity and as an asset makes some sense to move to recoup some prospects and maybe kickstart some things and get a guy that can start in major leagues right now. But the thing of it is, is that baseball has never been more of a real-world sport right now. COVID affects everybody. No, Everybody's gun-shy, whether it be because of finances or not knowing how many games you're going to play or even what rules you're going to play with or whether you've got a CBA for 2021. Darvish is, in a sense, too good for any team to go get given the cost of getting him and the uncertainty still around 2021. And I, I just didn't think we'd be so stuck in 2020 going into decisions about acquiring talent in 2021. Certainly some, but not this bad. Yeah, that's what kind of makes the whole thing such a catch-22, right? I mean, the Cubs sign you, Darvish. They need you, Darvish, to be good. You, Darvish, is bad, and then he's good again. And now you've probably got him at the value where he'll be his highest. And it's still very, very difficult to move him because, like you said, the money's not horrible in terms of baseball sense, but that's in a normal world. Right now, nobody knows what to do with their payrolls. Nobody knows what to do with any free agent signings because they don't know what 2021 is going to look like. And it, this is the same old song, Connor. Until we know more answers, we won't see much movement with, with baseball rosters. But we're pushing on Christmas, and we still don't know what the season's going to look like, how many games, how many spring training games, when spring training will be. Once again, there are just so many uncertainties that just kind of log jams this whole thing. And yet, uniquely, it does hurt the Cubs probably more than any other team because whatever direction they would like to go, you know, if they want to fill the holes, the many holes that they have, they can't really do it in free agency because apparently they're strapped for cash. If they would like to go in the other direction, it's difficult to move you, Darvish, unless you uh, put together some type of mega deal like we were talking a few podcasts ago with you, Darvish, and Jason Hayward. And I think Kyle Schwarber was thrown in that mix at that time. but At the time, I think, yeah. Yeah, you're going to have to get incredibly creative and it's it it it, it, again it it hurts the Cubs in such a unique way but it's because of the situation that they're in right now and and we've talked about it multiple times it's it's a product of the way they approached building their team and they did get a World Series out of it so it's it's tough to blame them for that it's tough to blame them for throwing all their eggs in and that's the thing you can't say they threw all their eggs in the basket of the core because there were so many different pieces and you can't expect all of them to come crashing down at the same time and all be dealing with the same kind of circumstances. So it's just, it it was kind of a, I don't even want to call it a trial and error, but it was an experiment that got you a world series and now you're paying for the repercussions of it. And it sucks, but it, it just sucks a little bit more because of everything that sucks about 2020. Yeah, I, I don't want to overplay what Ross said here either, but I do want to talk about it just a little bit. I, I think, you know, hell, we, we gave the Cubs uh, a lot of noise when they let go of Joe Madden um, and brought David Ross back. Or Dave brought David Ross in, I should say. I mean, yes, back to the franchise from ESPN, I guess. But in a sense, he never really left. And they brought David Ross in. And, you know, a lot of people have said that that's the makings of a really good manager. And from a from a, in, uh, a personnel standpoint or a, I guess in a, I guess in a media relations standpoint, I like the fact that David Ross is willing to stand up and say, 
Kyle and you are our guys, and we're going to win with them. And I think we can win with them. And I think our general manager is going to be a guy that can put players around him to go win. Like, I I know how the rest of that roster probably feels. I mean, hell, you've got Anthony Rizzo singing a song about a last dance all the way up until the last month of 2020. And that, it, it's impossible to not hear that if you're wearing Cubs pinstripes, right? You just, you know that this sense exists. And I don't think anybody's exhaled about getting another run in 2021 yet because of this specter of a Chris Bryant deal or, or, or maybe others, maybe a Javi Baez deal that could, that could move more pieces of the core away and, and change the constitution of that team. Still, you've got a manager who's, you know, pointing forward and it's, I mean, it's not like he's Washington crossing the Delaware or anything. It's nothing that dramatic, but he's he's certainly like, you know, pointing a way forward and providing that for you. And I, I think that's worthwhile. And believe me, not every manager in baseball does that. You know, so when we give credit to him, it's it's only because seen other managers really step on their own tongue when it comes to this stuff. I think it's a product of a couple of things. I mean, the candid quote that you just said, it how, did, how much did we talk about it in the Theo Epstein podcast that he wants to be transparent with the fans and with the media because then you develop that relationship and that trust between the two, and that's what Jed Hoyer's doing, and that's what David Ross had learned from that crew when he was a player, and then when he was a special advisor or whatever his role was before actually being manager. So when you say manager talks good about players on the team, of, of course that's going to happen, but... Again, it's it's this situation that the Cubs are in because I, I that quote almost that quote almost makes me feel it's like a a safe haven. It, it, they're probably going to hang on to you, Darvish and Kyle Hendricks. So yes, he has David Ross's support, and of course, this was our plan heading into this 2021 season. These guys are guys that we need for the year. But also, if for some reason a move does get made, yeah. He kind of snuck in there, well, I understand if Jed Hoyer does what he has to do to make us a better team. The whole other thing is, and I'm glad you brought up Joe Madden, it's almost like Theo and Jed, I I don't want to say almost like, I I would assume they just basically saw the writing on the wall in terms of this is a very big possibility that the Cubs are going to have a whole heck of a lot of problems moving forward, and we might have to steer in another direction, not essentially totally go in a different direction, but maybe just lean a different direction. So, yeah, let's bring in this manager who's a little bit younger, but who has worked with this core, who knows how to work with younger players, and get the, I don't want to call it a breath of fresh air from Joe Madden because he's always a breath of fresh air, but but just a, a different lead guy in that clubhouse and in that dugout. And it, the timing worked out so well with with Madden's contract expiring rather than they didn't have to fire him and create yeah. bad blood or create a whole scandal it's just yes we understand that there's a possibility that we might have to move in a different direction in the very near future so let's go with a new leader that understands what our goal is and you know we have good history with in the past and that's why it's such a good fit with David Ross yeah it's amazing they're gonna you know, as close as things got to being a scandal with with Madden, not a not a scandal, but like a big storyline. It could have been so much worse, right? But because of who Joe is, but because of who David Ross is, because of who Theo is, because of who Jed is, you know, they have these personalities that were able to navigate through some really tough waters. The whole story of this 
you know, of the Theo slash Jed Cubs is it's, yeah, we'll talk, there'll be a Joe Madden chapter, right? A Joe Mad- Madden to Ross chapter, but it's not going to be as important as what COVID forced this team to do and the losses. You know what I mean? This is, it'll just be, and remember they let Joe Madden go, which is wild to me because at the time you could have never, you would have never convinced me of that. You just never, of course, at the time, you probably would have never convinced me that a, that a pandemic would have wiped out life, uh, the existence of, of a lifestyle as we know it. You know, it's, it's absolutely wild. Well, that's why, you know, when you sent me this quote right before the show, I kept thinking, I'm like, yeah, what if they did just sign Joe Madden to a, what, a short three-year three deal or something like that? How, how much different is this team? Because it almost seems like they're just clinging on to everything that they had clung on to in the past. Clinged on? Is that the proper verb? Whatever. Um, it, I, I think it's clinged. I think it's clinged. But, you know, it, it it needed that that segue, that motion, again, just because they knew that this was a possibility, not, oh, man, all of our core members are spiraling down. We need a change in the managerial position. It's just, hey, things aren't looking out, looking like how they looked like they would be going for us. So we should probably make a move here. So if we have to go in the different direction, it's a little more seamless yeah. of a transition. Yeah, you might have, well, I suppose Ross was their guy in waiting, but I guess that's a scenario with, with signing Madden where now you get into the potential of, a, of an A.J. Hinch Cubs era, I guess, right? I mean, this is, nah, they would have always gone with David Ross. Hey, do you want to read, uh, speaking of managers, do you want to read the Bud Black DH plan? We're going to segue a little bit into some uh, White Sox chatter, though there's not a lot, you know, there's not as much, rather, as there was last uh, last pod. Still, though, I think this is interesting, and I've always liked Bud Black. I, I, you know, he's, he's, I think he says fun things. So this is from at Jorge Castillo on Twitter, and it says, Bud Good baseball writer. Absolutely. Bud Black brought up an interesting take on the DH that he said is being discussed. Having the DH limited once the starting pitcher is pulled. As he pointed out, that would discourage the use of openers. It would also allow for the traditional NL strategy late in games. I've got a lot of opinions on this, so if you want to start, that's fine. No, I, let's get to yours. I guess <laughs> I don't see the need to eliminate openers. I, I like the idea. I like that it's innovative. I like that it's different. I like that nobody else has a, a, an idea. This We haven't heard this one before, right? This is a, a brand new song. But I just disagree with the fact that we have to eliminate openers, that, that this is some sort of inherently bad thing that has to be... I don't know, thrown out of the league or something. It's just, I, I don't get that. The rest of it, though, this this idea that you could re I don't know, reinsert strategy into the back half of games is interesting to me. I, I, it it really is. So when I first read it, I was not a fan. Same. Because, again, I am a big fan of the Universal DA. As am I. Just moving on with life and, and, and continuing it. But it was, as, it, as I read it again, I... I Honestly, I'm intrigued that the fact that it said this is being discussed because I had never heard about this before, and the fact that it's actually being discussed is is pretty eye opening. But I, I agree. Why why do you need to eliminate the openers? I'm I'm okay with that. I like the openers. I like changing baseball, or rather, evolving it or adapting it because starters are not what they used to be. I'm sorry, guys are not throwing 200 mm-hmm. pitches per game anymore. It's just not happening. So. I'm okay with openers. 
it's just such a it's such a weird rule that would really affect some teams, mainly the Rays, and hardly affect any other teams. But I almost wonder this, what if they switched it? What if the starting pitchers hit, but once you go to the bullpen, then you get the DH? But it creates the same type of dilemma, though, because if a if a manager is hanging on to their starting pitcher so that he can have the extra bat in the lineup, he's a little more reluctant to pulling that starting pitcher because he doesn't want to lose the bat. But now you're talking about a lot of double switches yeah. or a reliever hitting, which is highly unlikely. So if you do if you do it the other way, starting pitchers are the only pitchers nowadays that ever pick up a bat, if they ever do. So at least you have some experience there. And I know this is less likely because, again, starting pitchers don't go as deep as they used to. But what if a guy is throwing a gem and you need a run? And I guess it's still the same scenario that we have before 2020. But then you got to make the decision, hmm, do I pull this guy now so that I can use the designated hitter or he's on a roll? I'd rather have him still on the mound. I, I almost think that's an easier way to to wean in a change of this rule. You also have to think about if, if this rule goes in or the inverse of it, where you get the DH in the last half of the innings, you get to, you have to pick where Nelson Cruz gets his at bats, right? Yeah. You know, if you're, if you're the twins and you have that guy that just cannot be in the field, then do you want him to get two at bats early? Or do you want to save him for something late with runners on that may never occur? I think it's I think it's very complicated. I think it's a whole lot of strategy. I think it's fun for I think it's fun for those of us who remember Stratomatic baseball or MVP or MLB the show. I don't I don't think it's practical for live baseball because uh, you know, a guy like Bud Black could do it, or a you know a a real crafty manager like Terry Francona could probably get through with it. But hell, managers aren't getting picked for you know necessarily in-game strategy genius right now. You know, there's plenty of guys who get there because they understand the analytics and how to maximize those things. There could be a lot of guys staring at like the headlights, going, "Oh dear God, what happens now?" <laughs> and and you're really what you're doing what that does i i think it chops the legs or like half a leg out from underneath too many jobs in baseball and i just i i don't i don't agree in a time especially like this with with taking jobs away from the sport i i just don't yeah it definitely devalues designated hitters and it it limits the the need for them from other teams but you're right, it overcomplicates everything. I, You know what bugs me is, again, because I am a huge advocate of the universal DH, but when people say, oh, that's that's not baseball, you know, we need, we need pitchers to hit because that's what baseball is, and there's more strategy. I don't think you're, like, I hardly even call it chess when you have to deal with a double switch. Like, that's the thing. I don't know how to play chess. I understand the rules of a double switch. And, and incorporating the right guy to put in the field and the right guy to take out of the ball game. I just don't think it's that complicated. And I don't, like, 
live for that thrill of the game, the double switch. I'd rather see a great hitter go up against a great pitcher. To me, that's more important and more exciting for the game than that. And I don't know. The fact that, that people don't understand it because maybe they grew up on the American League side, just like just follow along with the rules. You'll get it. Believe me, if you like baseball enough, you will get it. And I think you'll still go back to, yeah, I'm more a fan of the DH overall. Yeah. Yeah, I think most will. I mean, the DH has been around for 50 years. It's <laughs> the other thing, too. It's been around for a third of baseball. You know what I mean? Like, for the first third, you could actually throw a baseball at the guy and hit him, and he was out. Um, for the for the second third, there was the dead ball era. And then there was, you know what I mean? Like, there's been, baseball has changed quite a bit. Quite about, a bit. How about the fact that if you hit a guy while they were in the batter's box, it was a ball? Like, <laughs> rules change. That's what happens. The game gets better. So it's okay. If if the pitchers don't hit anymore, that's that's okay. Not for nothing. Have you – we should – we have to put a link to this video in the pod description. Have you seen the Conan O'Brien sketch – where he goes and plays old-timey baseball. Oh, yes. Uh, for some reason, that resurfaced on Twitter recently. It is fantastic. It is the finest. It is it is just so good. And he said, like, Conan has said, like, when I die, this is the sketch that I want broadcast at the funeral. <laughs> like, this is me. This is it. But I, I just, oh, God, thinking about old-timey baseball always makes me think of the Conan O'Brien sketch where he goes to play old-timey baseball. It is so, if you haven't seen it, go watch it. It is so choice. I highly recommend it. I want to go, or I want to reference a few of the jokes, but I, I don't want to ruin it for people. But one of the best is... <laughs> what is this demon <laughs> ring? One of, the, one of the best is just the beginning when he's talking to the to the umpire and he goes into his pockets and he's got something he shouldn't have because <laughs> that wasn't that didn't exist in the 1800s. Oh, it's so good. He's got a Nature Valley granola bar. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's fantastic. Um, speaking of old-timey baseball... The Cleveland Indians finally changed their name. Good for you. You, you're probably thirty years late on that. I, I don't. You know, I know a lot of people have things invested into what they call themselves now. Um, I don't necessarily care. I think the Cleveland Spiders are cool. You know, because it's got a, a reference to an old league. Um, I would like to see them uh, pick up a name that references an old Negro League team. I think that would be cool and reverential and important, um, at, at the same time. Um, but really I, I don't have anything invested into what they go to next more. I'm just glad they're changing it and changing the mascot and everything else. It all, it all was very much time. Yeah, I agree. And I, I am just a huge supporter. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who've already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. 
For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, click Granger.com, or just stop by. Granger, For the ones who get it done. ...of the Cleveland Spiders. A few years ago when they talked about the possibility of the name being changed, I saw an image of, it's basically the Cleveland Block C with a spider web in the top corner of, of the inside of the C. Oh! I just think you can keep the colors, you can keep the font, and you can just tweak the logo a little bit, Yeah, and it's got some history to it. Listen, I understand sure. the people that are banging on the table. The Cleveland Indians were never the Cleveland Spiders. They were different organizations. I know, I get that, but but when the Atlanta Thrashers and the NHL went up to Winnipeg, they became the Winnipeg Jets, and guess what? The Winnipeg Jets franchise still exists. I'm, I'm pretty sure they're the Colorado Avalanche, so it is possible to do yeah. that. Uh, anyone who, who wants to learn more about this or disagrees on any of this, and again, I, I think you're outdated if you do, you got to read an article by Anthony Castrovince. It just is a fantastic job. He's from Cleveland. The name is very sacred to him, too, but he breaks down in so many ways. It's 2020, and this needs to happen. And he puts up a great case for the Cleveland Spiders, one of them being the reason they changed to the Indians in the early 1900s. They were bouncing around names like crazy, and they went to the Indians because... Uh, apparently the Milwaukee Braves, or the Boston Braves at that time, I think the Milwaukee Braves. I think they would have been the Milwaukee Braves at the time. So they had just won the World Series, and Cleveland wanted to pounce on that. Oh, no, then it would have been Boston, because the Milwaukee's never won a World Series. Oh, yeah, you're right. Well, I don't think the Brewers are part of that organization, franchise. But you're you're saying the city of Milwaukee has never won. You would know this. Yeah, Milwaukee's never won a. Yeah, Milwaukee's never won a World Series. It's a it's a moribund, horrible place. Milwaukee's actually kind of nice. Oh, I like Milwaukee a lot. You know, the joke is really. (laughs) Yeah, it's nice. Um, nice. But anyway, so so Cleveland adapted the Indians' nickname because there was a lot of success for whatever team was the Braves, Boston or Milwaukee at the time, and they previously had a player that was on the Cleveland Spiders. Named Louis, I believe Sock Alexis is the way you pronounce it, who is of Native American descent. The, uh, you know, baseball teams hardly ever had anyone of color whatsoever on the team. So I guess it was somewhat of an homage to him. But again, it's not an homage to one specific person. You're, you're taking a group of people and using it as a mascot. That's why it's wrong. But then it, it all kind of intertwines then if you become the Spiders then because you're kind of going for the guy they named the team after because that's who Louis Sock Alexis was yeah. on. He was on the Cleveland Spiders. He was never on the Cleveland Indians. Well, I'm, g- I'm glad that Castrovince wrote the piece he did. Um, a lot of people have written similar things, but, you know, the Castrovince piece was really good. I, I did read it. And, you know, the the... The conversation can be had about the name itself, I suppose, right? I mean, that's that's a conversation to be had. Uh, and you can learn some things about it, and then you know we can all agree that it's it's time to move on. There is no conversation about Chief Wahoo as a mascot. There is no that's that's it's not a never should have been, shouldn't have lasted as long as it did, should have moved on. It's cute, and we all have fun memories. Sorry, it, it was cute, 
and we all have fun memories of watching Major League um, and the jokes got, that got made there. But that's an R-rated movie that towed the edge and was probably a little too far anyway. You know, it, okay, jokes got made. You got your laughs. Go put in the VHS if you want. We're done now. Move on. James McCann got a lot of money from the Mets. That's a it's a big deal. And I'm just more or less as we move on to the White Sox, I'm just I'm really amazed that James McCann took his career from can't hit some power iffy defense former prospect catcher who leaves the Tigers on a prove it deal with the White Sox into a guy that's worth a big chunk of change and can be a primary backstop. That's good on you, man. That's impro- Oh, and by the way, I should add this, has a great reputation of working with and as much as a catcher can, developing pitchers. That's impressive. It's a feel-good story, and it even gets better once you realize how great of a human being James McCann is. A guy that, once coming over to the White Sox, you know, whether he struggled or whether he did well, he was always the same person in the clubhouse, at least from the media aspect. That's how I felt. But I, I truly believe he has such a big role in Lucas Giolito's resurgence. He, the chemistry that those two had, they just kind of fed yeah. off each other, it seemed. And Steve Stone just kind of oozes when he talks about their relationship because they're just on such of the same page. And... Here's the thing, James McCann will no longer be Lucas Giolito's catcher, whatever. Maybe they get a reunion down the line. But they're probably both such better players moving on. So they, they kind of do each other a favor. They both ride off into the sunset and kind of get what they want. I mean, Lucas Giolito still wants a World Series, probably wants a big contract when the time comes. But, I mean, James McCann is just seems like a fantastic teammate pretty it's pretty easy to believe that he's a fantastic human being but you just always have a softer spot in your heart for a guy that figures himself out especially a prospect that doesn't seem to pan out and then has the location change and then does figure it out so it's it's just so easy to root for the guy it's so easy to see him do well and good for him on being on a team that's got a lot of excitement right now and a team that really wanted him I, that's the other thing it's just so cool how he was the first Right, he was the first free agent catcher signed this offseason. I know not many guys are being signed at all, but the Mets took him over JT Real Muto, mm-hmm. who is a guy they saw directly in their division. Yeah, that a lot of the rumors were circling about that. I mean, I, I mainly heard that the Mets were going to get Real Muto and the Phillies were going to get McCann. So, I mean, good on him. He he did exactly what he wanted to do, what he had to do, and he succeeded amazingly yeah you know per, for me personally i that mets team is interesting um <clears throat> a lot of you know obviously the the, the the if they're not the front runner for george springer they are 1a right and a, a lot of people are telling me you know smarter folk than i are, are telling me that they get george springer add mccann to the mix they get that pitching staff you know back to being you know a post-covid pitching staff and that's that's a team that can compete for a division with the braves I, I don't necessarily, and I got to do a little bit more research on what teams look like for 2021 and everything, but I don't necessarily see them as, as that good yet. But shoot, if smarter people than me think so, then then great. Good on them. I, I do want to swing back to one thing. Uh, good on the Mets, rather. Not on, not on the people. I don't mean to say, like, they're wrong. I mean, good for the Mets. I okay. I One thing about McCann before we before we move on. Um, if you just If I just say stuff like, 
former good prospect, struggled, learned to hit, couldn't play D, learned how to play D, great guy in the clubhouse, learned to develop pitchers or had the skills to develop pitchers, signed a big money deal and maybe won a couple of ball games with, with a, you know, a good franchise kind of thing. Um, that's a, I, I don't know if James wants it, but that's a manager profile. Those, those are the, I mean, you, you look at managers around baseball, that's, <laughs> that guy checks a lot of boxes. I'm sure it's a handful of years down the line, but given what he's already accomplished and those, you know, quote unquote, soft skills, important skills, but you, you know, you'd call them soft skills, I guess, cause they're not translatable in a slash line or whatever. That that's, those are the kind of guys that get hired to manage. When you were bringing that whole conversation up, I was like, okay, what, what player is he comparing him to? And <laughs> the fact that you took it that turn with a, a future major league manager, I think, yeah, that's a no brainer. Um, they always say, catchers make the best managers and dealing with multiple managers that were former catchers in the minor league side it's it's it is a no-brainer it's just it's so easy to see how they see both sides of the game how they can relate to multiple players because that's the thing catchers deal with so many different types of personalities on the mound that you just have to be able to not only tolerate, but but work with these guys and improve these guys, whether or not how they feel about the person that's throwing to them. So yeah, I I could not agree with you more. I, I can totally see James McCann as f- fitting a role like that. You know, it always got said to me that um, you you gotta be the catcher always has to be himself, right? You can't be disingenuous. You always got to be you when you're dealing with these different different pitchers, different personalities. But you do have to understand how to either you know, ride or yell at or comfort or grow different personalities. So in a way, learning how to shape your own, you know, stay true to yourself kind of thing, but learning how to project that onto different people is, you know, really, it's it's challenging. It's a skill set. Not everybody can do it. And certainly there are plenty of catchers who have succeeded without that skill set. Thinking about AJ Przinsky, perhaps, uh, and there are some who have succeeded, who have not succeeded, and do have that skill set in terms of you know hitting or, or what have you. But you know, better than not, I suppose, if you're if maybe you're looking at being a coach or a manager down the line. Well, that's why it's interesting how you just brought that up because, okay, catchers need to be themselves, but they also the majority of their job is dealing with other people, and you have to be selfless, and you have to yeah to basically put all your focus on making sure that that guy is okay and that guy is doing a good job. One of our uh, pitching coaches in Kane County, it was it was cool. At the end of the year, every year, he would take the catchers to a steak dinner. And he would pay, and the pitching coach was like, hey, you've been taking care of all my guys all year long. This is how I repay you. And it, it, it was always a, a unique, interesting bond between the pitching coach and the catchers, but it's one that only pitchers can understand because they just work so directly and in-depth and, and uniquely in that type of relationship. I'm just imagining everybody at the, at the steak dinner. There's the fat old pitching coach, and then there's the three catchers all with, like, massive bags of ice on their knees after the season, but also <laughs> shoveling steak into their mouths because they're so underfed in the minors. That's that's pretty true. And, uh, yeah, just also make sure the pitching coach has a bad farmer's tan, an outdated button-down shirt, and, you know, two of the catchers hardly speak English and are, yeah. are just happy to be there at that Oakley's, point in time. Oakley's and... around the table. Oakley's. <laughs> 
Oakley's just scattered around the table everywhere. Pitching coach is getting drunk, and one of the catchers is maybe having a vodka drink or a beer. And... Right, right, right. Pitching coach shows up drunk, let's be honest. <laughs> to that dinner, you're blasted by the time you sit down. Um, you know, the, the other bit of White Sox news here that I think is kind of interesting is the, the, I don't know, the existence of Liam Hendricks in the atmosphere right now. Obviously, he's a guy who, as much as anything, uh, put down the White Sox in the postseason in 2020. And and you and I both, well, shoot, I won't speak for you, but I, I thought it was a horrible decision to leave him in as long as they did in Game 2 and assume that they could bring him out here for back three. And there he was, shoving, just being an absolute stud. He's a little older. In the, in the early 30s, 33, I think, is where he'll play his 20, 2021 season. I, I think it takes four years to get him. A lot of smart folk like Jim Margulis over at Sox Machine have kind of theorized that you're looking at about $135 million payroll. I won't do the envelope math for you, but I, I would say that if you sign Hendricks, that leaves you something like $10, $12, 14000000 million left for 2021 to play with. And... You know, I if it's a four-year deal at that number, I, I just wonder about the efficacy of signing that guy to this roster, knowing it's getting more expensive as we go here, and you're only solving, you know, the three outs that you've been pretty good at finding um, over the last two, three years. Some of that's column A, but you've also grown a handful of relievers, and, and we just know the way that relievers can fluctuate from season to season to season. And, and Hendricks pitched a lot in the postseason. We, we all watched it happen. I think it's a good point, and I, I, I agree with you because I wonder how the success of the White Sox bullpen in 2020, how much that plays a factor in who they sign as their closer for the future. I don't know. For some reason, Archie Bradley is still sticking to me. I, again, he's interesting. He's younger than Liam Hendricks. He would take less money. Uh, he's not as highly touted as a free agent right now. But I don't think he gets signed until the other guys do, like like most positions. But I mean, let's face it. It's the White Sox aren't typically the team that goes o- goes after the big fish. I mean, sometimes they do, but. We've seen it in the last couple of years. They either don't get the guy they're going for or they don't end up making the final push for it. So I almost wonder who are these weird guys that they're going to get that are maybe just a sub-tier because I'm pretty sure the Trevor Bauer ship has sailed. So I, I, I wonder, like, what is Chase Anderson or Brett Anderson looking at a White Sox uniform? Just I, I know it's another older veteran arm, so... Maybe let's not put it in a cast of thousands that they kind of have already. But I still think the door's open for Michael Brantley. If they don't end up going after or getting Michael Brantley, I mean, am I crazy to wonder about Ryan Braun for a one-year deal? I, I know it'd be expensive, but if if they miss out on other guys and they are able to take some pay cuts and then they say, you know what, Ryan Braun, a guy that can DH, a guy that can play left for when we give Aloy a little spell and if it's a one-year deal money's not going to play a factor because I, I just still think that that because they sign Adam Eaton doesn't mean they're not going after the big prospects I almost think it's just it's the method that they went after him mm. like if you're going to get George Springer you're going to have to fork over a lot of years and a lot of money so they don't want to do that okay okay but they can maybe still get Adam Eaton and Michael Brantley and if they get Michael Brantley, 
and you have Adam Eaton in right field, yeah, you're dealing with five outfielders now, but you're filling you're filling roles or filling holes that you actually need to fill. So, but again, when it comes down to it, it's the White Sox if they don't get those guys who are these sub-tier plan B guys that they go after. So those are just some of the interesting, intriguing names I kind of thought. Yeah, I'm with you. There's There are still 400 at-bats to hand out to somebody on this team. And, you know, I understand a, a lot of White Sox fandom and even the, you know, I, I haven't heard the front office say anything like this specifically, but the hope is that Andrew Vaughn can play at some point in 2021. I think that's a lot to put on a guy. And again, to the White Sox, in the White Sox defense, they haven't put it on him, you know, publicly, vocally or anything like that. But, I, you know, with missing a minor league season, with having been drafted when he was, I mean, that's just, that's really fast to go hit major league pitching. It it just is. And, and without the playing time in between. So assuming he gets there is a fool's errand, right? You don't do that in baseball. You, you, you don't assume all five of your starters are going to stay healthy. You don't assume your top prospect makes it all the way through in a year. Like, it's just, that's just what it is. So there's still 400 bats to go, to go find and hand out to a guy, an amalgam of guys, uh, a handful of dudes, a, a plethora of men. You know I mean? However you want to do it, we've, there's still a way to get 400 bats to a good stick. Um, I'm not all that concerned with whom the White Sox used to back up Yasmani Grandal in 2021. The workload was so light for Grandal in 60 games. I mean, just because it was 60 games. I mean, yes, he played a lot of games, but they were able to move him to DH a couple of times, and he played first base a little while. And, you know, it's just not a 162-game workload. The guy's a hoss. He's going to play 130 or or even more. Eh, 130, let's say. I, I don't mind who gets the backup role. I don't think you have to go out and spend money on that next James McCann, I guess is what I'm saying. Go, go find the guy that can help you most with the bat right now. I think that's where yeah, that's that's where I'd rather focus the money, especially if and when Liam Hendricks signs with somebody else. I, I like the idea of, of signing right now a handful of, I guess, B-listers um, to put things together. You know, go one tier above where Eaton was in the marketplace and get the, to those guys, you know, a reliever and, a, and an extra bat instead of Hendricks at the A spot or Springer at the A spot in free agency. I'm okay with that. I know because that's the biggest thing. That whoever you get for, say you, you still want another corner outfielder, it can't just be a corner outfielder. you got to fill that DH role. Say you, you want the DH role. Well, he's got to do something. He's got to do either corner outfield. He's got to do a little first base. Right. He's got right. to maybe maybe catch. I mean, the catching situation is intriguing to me because what kind of Zach Collins are you getting in 2021? That's tough. It's really tough. So do you want to rely that much on Yasmani Grandal? I, I, I get it. That's what you paid for. I, I trust that he can, but for those, okay, 32 games, if we have a 162-game season, are you okay with relying on Zach Collins to fill up that amount of time? Because I'd imagine you'd want to give Yasmani Grandal rest and not rest as in DH or first base. I, I know yeah. that will happen, but you're still going to want to give him rest. Yeah, I, I think you're right. I, I think, though, you know, if you're going to play, if you're going to get the 130-game season out of Yasmani Grandal, it's got to be 21. Yeah. Yeah, you know, in in 2021, because you you couldn't. I mean, it wasn't there then. He's getting older after that. Like, 
you know, I'm okay if they wear some tread off the tires in this 2021 season because they've pushed in for Lance Lynn and because they've pushed in, you know, I mean, it's, I, I'm okay with it. You know, trusting it is another thing, obviously. Like we just talked about, you can't assume Andrew Vaughn. You can't assume a starting five. You obviously don't assume a starting catcher lasts an entire 130 games, but it's a little bit, the math is a little different, I think, you know, when, when we're talking about the catching situation as opposed to the others. I want to play a quick game uh, before we let go here. Uh, I will go first because I understand that when I texted you this about the game, it was a little unclear. So I want to, I will, I will, I will give you my template and then we can play off of that. I want to know, because quite frankly, Joe and I haven't decided our plans over the holidays. What with Christmas falling on a Saturday and the podcast, you know, theoretically going on a Thursday in the next three weeks, right? So into 2021 now, three weeks, let's call it four weeks in the next month. What headline? from outside each team makes the most impact on the team for the 2021 season. So uh, a way to say this would be, if I go click on MLB.com, this headline will be on the front page, but not necessarily on the Cubs page or on the White Sox page. I'll elaborate. For me, the headline outside the White Sox that makes the most impact on the White Sox in 2021 is when, and I think it's when, it's when Cleveland trades Francisco Lindor. Because that changes the division. I don't think they're training him in the division. That changes the division. That changes the Sox outlook. It damn sure changes Cleveland's outlook. I think that's the headline that makes, makes the most impact on the White Sox from outside the White Sox, if that makes sense. It makes sense, and I agree with you, but... I feel like everyone is anticipating that to happen. So, I, I mean, I'm thinking Francisco Lindor is being moved, if not during this offseason, somewhere in the middle of 2021. So I think heading into this or the idea that Francisco Lindor gets moved, the White Sox already know what situation they have. I, I agree. It's the most impactful. Yeah. But I, I think everyone understands that that's going to happen or it's very, very likely. For me, it's where does Liam Hendricks sign? Okay. If Liam Hendricks signs with a different team, what do the White Sox do next? Do they leave their closers role to somebody by their bullpen or do they go after another said unsaid closer of the free agent pool because then they have to actually make a decision again I think the Trevor Bauer thing's not going to happen I think the door's open on Michael Brantley but I think it's less likely so if Liam Hendricks signs with whatever team then the Sox have to make a decision of what they're going to do in the closers role I that's what I would go with that makes sense that makes sense for the Cubs I would and this is where I I like the phrase there's no points for subtlety in this conversation um for the Cubs it's is there or is there not a DH in 2021? I I mean that's that's the most impactful thing that happens outside Cubsdom that affects Cubsdom in 2021. I think so too. And do you agree with me on this? If there's no designated hitter in the National League, does that help the Cubs? Oh, sh- sugar. Um, because I think it does. They only have. Two outfielders right now. Uh-huh. So, so okay, the logic then would be because they can't, because they don't have to go spend the money on the extra bat to keep up with 15 teams that will now presumably add the extra bat, 
that's a space they can afford to hand, like literally afford to hand, to a guy that's going to hit 120, 210, 230 in the pitcher's spot. That's interesting. Because the other way I look at it, we saw a lot of Victor Caratini and Wilson Contreras DHing last year, but that's because they were two of the best hitters on the team. So yeah, you don't have to rely on both of your catchers playing every day. And you don't, basically, like you said, you don't have to fill the role of designated hitters. They got a lot of guys that can't hit already. Now you have to worry about one less guy. <laughs> you know your pitcher is not going to hit. That's true, man. I don't know that it, it doesn't, I don't think it helps them necessarily, but it just, it keeps them on the level playing field. You know, or, or it keeps them closer to the level playing field of everyone else. You know, it doesn't like, it's not going to make Baez better and it's not you know what I mean it's not gonna make Hap be more consistent all year round but it certainly doesn't let other people start to other teams start to boat race them as in terms of scoring runs you know right but it just it's so bizarre to me how different it is than last year because last year the National League gets a designated hitter this is amazing this is basically what they drafted Kyle Schwarber for and now in 2021 Oh, there's a, there's a DH. Eh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> no big deal. And, Schra- and Schwarber played 55 games in the outfield. <laughs> yeah. It's, just, it's Oh, it's so weird. Baseball's so, so strange. Well, Joe, I'll tell you what, man. I don't know whether we're going to do one over before Christmas or not, and we don't have to decide that then. But Merry Christmas, Happy New Year, Happy Holidays to everybody who's listening. We'll let you know if we're going to do another podcast. But quite frankly... This whole holiday season is uh, really crazy for for everyone, uh, for family scheduling and everything like that. So Joe and I are just, we're playing it by ear because that's what our families need. So we're doing it that way. At least that's where my head's at. And if we do a pod, we do a pod. And if we don't, we'll talk to you before New Year. Yeah, that sounds good. Happy New Year. Happy holidays to you and yours. And honestly, let's face it, if that gives us a two-week window, Something will probably happen, so maybe we'll just have to do an emergency podcast anyway. Smash smash the emergency pod <laughs> yeah, button exactly. and just kind of do it drunk on New Year's Eve. I'll uh, I'll shine the light into the sky, and then you'll know to, to run to your computer and open Skype up. Joe, I love you, man. We'll talk to you in 2021 for sure, and, you know, like we said, probably before that. Thank you so much for listening. We really appreciate everybody sticking with us throughout 2020. Looking forward to a solid 2021. Thanks for listening. This is Baseball from Home. Support for this podcast and the following message come from Corient. Corient provides wealth management services centered around you. They focus on exceeding your expectations and simplifying your life. Corient has been helping high achievers just like you enjoy their lives more fully, preserve their wealth, and provide for the people, causes, and communities they care about. As one of the largest integrated fee-only registered investment advisors in the U.S., Corient has deeply experienced teams in 23 strategic locations. Corient has extensive knowledge spanning the full spectrum of plan investing, lending, and money management disciplines. Leverage Corient's exclusive network of experts to craft custom solutions designed to help you reach your financial goals, no matter how complex they may be. Real wealth requires real solutions. 
For more information, connect with a wealth advisor today at Corient.com. That's C-O-R-I-E-N-T.com. Corient.com. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who've already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator.